0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, today we have Derek Brown, former representative in the House in the state of Utah and is running for chairman of the Republican Party.
1: That's right. That's right. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, here he is. Hey, so Derek, could you give us a little brief history of your upbringing and sort of what's gotten you to this point?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I don't even know where to start. There's, I mean, how do you summarize your life in a few seconds, but uh, you know, it's funny, on that note, it's like you kind of start out life with kind of a plan and then your plan just kind of blows apart. And then what do you do? And that's for me. So I I went to law school. Uh, I went to Pepperdine in LA, graduated. Um, I clerked for a federal judge. And then when it was over, I started a law firm in DC. And, uh, funny enough that the guy that recruited me to the law firm was Mike Lee. Oh, long before he was a Senator. But, uh, he was a friend, and he was one of those that, that encouraged me to join this particular firm. Sidley Austin is the name of the firm. and um, So I went there, and I remember getting to the firm and thinking, all right, this is where I'm going to be for like 40 years. I can do this. Boom, this is I'm good. ready to roll. You know, interesting stuff, good money, yada, yada. And then within a couple months, I realized, you know, I don't know if this is for me. I mean, because I, mean, I know I have a lot of friends that are attorneys and love practicing law. Uh-huh. but A lot of them Really don't. I mean, because what you're doing is you're just sitting. Like you sit all day at a desk, <laughs> you're typing emails, typing motions, and on conference calls. Like, okay, it's not nearly as sexy it is on TV. It's not <laughs> like you're in the courtroom going, "Hey, ladies and gentlemen," it, that's just not the, the, you know, most lawyers. Wow. That's not what they do. I mean, so I, you know, I was sitting there and I was typing, you know, seven, eight, nine hours a day, emails and motions and doing research. I just thought. Oh man, this is is this what I want to do with, with my life, you know? Yeah. And I was making good money which I needed to because I had these massive student loans that were kind of scary and I was wondering how do I get those things paid off and so to your question of kind of how I kind of got where I was going. Yeah. I assumed I'd be that's what I'd be doing that's what you thought. forever and ever and then we had a uh, we had a uh, a trial that that took place. I was part of this trial team. And we sort of didn't sleep for about four months. It was one of those things where I'd come home at midnight, wake up at like four the next morning, mm-hmm. be gone by like five thirty-six, and gone for like eighteen hours. And we had, and then working over weekends. And it was this huge trial on a, on a, a a drug that was pulled from the market. And anyway, when it ended, we won the trial. It was great, and the firm gave me a bonus that, kind of, was enough to cover my student loans. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I know, and I was like i'll take it <laughs> oh my i mean and and my student loan interest was like nothing so it was like a dumb choice always, to like yeah, yeah. To, to pay you know you don't want to pay a loan off that's like one percent interest but there was something like emotionally mentally spiritually about i was like you know what i was talking with my wife emily and she and i both just decided let's just just pay it off let's let's be free so paid we it did off. we paid it off and she's like okay oh you're you're free now i mean if you don't want to practice law like this for the rest of your life, you know? Something else comes along. Anyway, like no joke, like a week or two later, I got a call from Senator Bennett's chief of staff, who is someone oh, wow. I knew. And uh, he said, hey, this is a total long shot, but our main attorney here in the office just just left, took another job. Do you have any interest in coming over and working here on Capitol Hill and leaving your law firm? He goes, like, you probably never would even dream of doing that, but." I've just thought of you and thought, man, you would probably really enjoy this, you'd be great at it and you know and I'm thinking Your Whoa. eyes just lit up. I'm like the timing <laughs> is just kinda of weird. But so I did it. So I worked with Senator Bennett. I was his chief counsel for the next couple of years.
0: So you did it with Senator Bennett, and
1: then later on you were did the same thing with Senator Hatch? Well it was it's similar, but back here in Utah. So I did that with Senator Bennett. And what I did is I, I was his chief counsel, which basically means I was Giving him legal advice on bills. Okay. Things like, you know, when bills would come up to vote, I'd be, I'd look at them, I'd, I'd sort of analyze the legalities, I'd talk with other attorneys and other offices who had written them, i look at the language and make recommendation. Say, yeah, this is one I would recommend you vote for, or this is a bad one, stay away from this, or maybe we should, ch- you know, suggest an amendment. If you change this, then you can vote for it. And oh, so it cool. was more sort of legal advice, but the sort of the, it's like being the attorney for the senator. Okay. So it's a cool position. Yeah, and then uh, I did that for a couple of years we moved back here to Utah and I kind of thought I'm I'm jumping back into the law firm thing because I kind of didn't know you know yeah. what I was doing and and my wife had a business that was back here it was a production company and so it made sense for us to move back to Utah and I was you know born and raised here so all my you know my connections and family and stuff were mostly here Anyway, so I spent uh, – then I got a call from Senator Hatch saying, would you you know, help me out of my Utah office? So I did that for a couple of years um, up, up through his election. And both of them – and I said, look, I'll help you up through a, a certain election, re-election and then I'm going to do something else. I've just never felt like like these positions, you know, when you work in the Senate or whatever, were like lifetime things. Never get permanent in. positions. Yeah, I mean that's or- my attitude is – I we sort of jokingly called it seasonal work. You get in, you serve – you serve your state, your community, and then you go back and you do what you're right. doing. So that's kind of. So I've done a lot of that. Yeah. So I, I ran for the House of Representatives, actually for this area, of Sandy, which was a um, uh, District 49. Is that 49 correct? was the the district? And how many was, districts uh, are there? There's 75. Okay. And that's in the House. So there's 75 House districts. 75 and House there's, districts. I, the current number. Each district something like 40 40,000 people or something oh, like okay. that. Okay. So it's. It's uh, I mean, it's it's a substantial amount of people you gotta sort of connect with and keep happy. And, well, <laughs> you can't keep everyone happy. You know, you know, you just try to be true to your to who you are, and and uh, you know, you'll have a lot of people happy and a lot of people angry. Okay, I yeah. that's, that's the nature of politics. That's so, that's politics. So I, that. yeah, so I ran, and uh, it was two thousand ten. I ran, and I won. And then you went and
0: two two year terms,
1: correct? So I, at the at the halfway through my second term, I got a call from Senator Lee. Now a U.S. senator, three senators and, in one lifetime. And, That's pretty I know, and, and he was like, "Hey, would you would you consider leaving the house and coming working with me?" And I was like, uh, "No, nah, I've been there, I've done that." And he's like, "No, this is here's what I'm about. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm interested in. Here's my objectives. Here's I'm promoting, you know, conservative principles in this way." And he sort of walked me through what his plan was. Okay, And I just in my gut, I was like. Oh boy, that makes that kind of rings true with kind of who I am and what I wanted to do. Yeah. And So you know, long story short, I said yes, but with a with a with a fuse. Like I basically said with some asterisks. It on was the like side. yeah, it was like two thousand thirteen, and I said, look, you know, for you know, I'll do it up through your next election, which is two thousand sixteen. So I agreed to do it for bet you know basically three years.
0: Another seasonal.
1: Exactly, and work. that's kind of what I said to him, and he he agrees with me as well that, you know the. That kind of work isn't something you do for it's, it's not a you know a lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. You get in, you serve your community, and then you get out. and And it's funny because I had a lot of members of the House of Representatives that were friends of mine that were like, "Well, you're willing to leave your position in the House? You're going to leave your house? You campaign for this? You're here? You got the you know?" And I had one person you who jokingly want. said, you, "You're gonna you're gonna give up the ring," <laughs> and I was like, "The fact that you know someone even called it that is all the more reason to like." <laughs> Yeah, because that's not what it is. It's a chance to serve. I mean really, that's yeah. what that's what elected office is You get in you serve people Well, you know, I, you do your best and then you get out
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of people really like that because so many people are skeptical of career politicians exactly of people yeah. Becoming corrupt through being in a position too long. So I feel like a lot of people can really relate Yeah with that and like that you've done it or not really way. they're like wait You did what
1: because I really had a lot of people who were like, why would you do that? Why would you give it all up and I'm like Because this isn't about me. This is about getting in, making a difference, and then moving on. But yeah, we did, you know, we've had, you know, elected officials here in Utah who've been in there for decades and decades and decades. And that's why people have that perception that, you know, once somebody gets in, they just, they stay there forever and ever.
0: Do you feel like some of those officials that have been in there for decades and decades have become more corrupt or being a career politician leads to corruption? Or is that more no, of just a stigma that's I don't not think. Really it, no, I don't think it does. Existing? I just
1: think sometimes it's harder to stay kind of in touch with kind of who you are when you're doing that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're—you know, when you have someone who— when you've got a staff of 30 or 40 people and you're, you're doing it, and after 20 or 30 years, I think it's just hard to maintain the, the connection. You know, I just—even mm-hmm. yeah, even the best human being, I think it, it affects them. It's hard to, yeah, it really, I think it is. And so that's why, I mean, you know, people have said, well, so should we have term limits? Well, if everyone were to do it, I mean, I don't know that that would necessarily be a, a bad thing and, and there's pros and cons to having them at all. Um, you know, we could talk about that another time you know, <laughs> because that's a, that's an interesting, really interesting debate actually. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've always thought like, like these are, you know, by and large, I know a lot of people like to just sort of throw shade on politicians but, like, when I worked here in the, in the Utah House of Representatives, like, you got 75 men and women who, for the most part, are just there trying to make a difference. They're trying to, That's awesome. trying to help out. I mean, and sure, you get those who get more like press and do things that sort of stand out. But, but by and large, like, they're there and, you know what I'm saying? And, and what's interesting is people have said, so should we have term limits on, you know, House members? And the average House member in Utah serves somewhere between four to six years. So not that long. They really don't. Yeah. I mean, sure, there are some that are there 8, 10, 12 years. Some that are there 2 to 4. I mean, it sort of varies. But on average, after 2 or 3 terms, most members of the House do just something call, else. call it good. Yeah. That is, that, so it is. It, most people don't realize that, but that's, that's yeah. the reality. Is, that's
0: good know, to hear from you being on the inside, being able to say, you know, there's not this corruption. It's just... No, it, generally don't. people trying to do good. It, it is. I mean, and, the it, and if there
1: is some, some like outlier, someone who does something that isn't, isn't, you know, upstanding, I generally, the press will find out about it and say something, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't, and, yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? And that's a good thing. I think the system should work that way. I like that.
0: Well, Derek, you have an incredible resume, as you just told us all that <laughs> being the chief council, house representative, before we move on, to talking about your current campaign yeah. that you're going with. I'd love to hear more about you being in the House of Representatives okay. on some of the, maybe the laws or different issues that you covered while you were there.
1: Yeah, you know the the fun thing about, I mean, at the federal level, there's a lot of talk and no action. They don't really do much. I mean, in terms of passing laws, yeah, there's not a whole lot they do. But here at the state, we have this really what I think is a great system, and a few people know this. But when we when we have a legislative session. It's the same time every year. It's 45 days. So it starts late January on a Monday, and then it always ends on midnight on Thursday, 45 days later. And even if all the work's not done, like, it ends. It doesn't matter. Like, if you've got great bills that you're working on, when the clock strikes midnight, it's over. And I've seen that, literally. I was working on a bill where that literally we were minutes away from the very last vote and the bill about to come over to the house and the clock struck midnight and that was it. And, and <laughs> no way. And we had literally, we had to come back the next year and everyone liked the bill. It was a good bill. It moved through, it passed. This, in fact, it was just a couple months ago when this happened, but, but you had to delay it a year because, because you had to stop at midnight. Yep. Everything stopped. So every, you know, the main thing Hilarious. that the legislature do does is, is pass the budget. We've got to get a budget in place. And really, that's the most important thing that that we do. And one of the cool things about Utah that a lot of people don't know, know is we have like a requirement in the constitution: that we have to balance our budget. Uh-huh. Like we can't just. I mean, a lot of people want us to just borrow money like crazy and you know buy things we can't afford. We don't do that. It's a state. Is so. that
0: a that that's not a requirement
1: on the federal level right now? <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> because there's no way it could Evans, be. Right no, now. oh no, we've got our our current debt is twenty three trillion right oh, now. Okay. I mean, we are literally like the like the interest alone is in the billions a day. I mean, it's it is That's crazy. It's it's amazing. How
0: do you possibly get out of that? Uh, you know what? <laughs> I can't even. you what
1: 20 some odd years younger than me. Yeah, right. <laughs> You'll You're figure lucky. this out. I mean, like my generation. I mean, the the folks in their sixties, you know, are kicking this can down the road. My generation in the forties, same thing. I mean, like we. A lot of us have been saying, we got to deal with this. Like you can't, you can't increase your borrowing and like, like forever, like at some point you got to pay it off. Uh-huh. So what's the plan for paying it off? No one's got a plan, you know? And so that's a whole other, other issue, yeah, but, <laughs> but it's a, this is by, I think it's the most, I mean, in some ways the most serious issue we're going to have as a country because we're, we're living on money that is not ours. Yeah. You know, we're buying, we're borrowing money and using that money to live and we're borrowing a lot we're borrowing trillions now (laughs) a year wow and you know at some point no one's going to be willing to loan us money now that's a interesting think
0: about when that will be well yeah
1: i mean and and so we're going to have to deal with that and then the real problem is you know the money that we borrowed we also have to pay interest on it and what happens when interest rates start going up i mean so it yeah it's a mess but we don't deal with that at the state level here in utah because we we literally will balance our budget, and we project sort of what are the what what are like all the revenues from the taxes going to look like next year. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's that how much it is, and you know it could be seventeen, eighteen, nineteen billion dollars in that range, and then we budget according to that, and I like we that. pass a budget that that makes sense. And you get people, you know, that are angry because they didn't get the kind of money or the funding they wanted, but that's just the game. But anyway, has,
0: you, has Utah benefited pretty greatly from? Having a balanced budget.
1: I, I think as a as a state, we're really economically strong. We're one of the strongest in the country, huh. and I mean, if you look at all up and down the the freeway, all those new tech buildings and stuff. I mean, like companies are coming here from out of state and setting up shop because we're really strong. I mean, huh. you take companies like, uh, Adobe, yeah, or eBay. Uh-huh. I mean, they have thousands of employees here in Utah, even though they're based in California. But the cost of living is so expensive there, and it makes much more sense to hire someone here in Utah. Huh. And so we have, like, literally thousands of thousands of software engineers and programmers living here in Utah, who have come here from out of state because you know these companies are setting up shop. So it's a it makes for a, a pretty for strong companies. absolutely, yeah. So and and the other thing is Utah ranks one of the highest in the in the nation. A, a recent study I saw, I think it was the Pew Research Foundation, did this. And I don't know It's, it's a great a, source. It is. It's a good source. <laughs> and good and source. I don't know their metrics, but they basically were trying to figure out like if you lived in like if, if you're poor and at the bottom of the economic sort of the, the bottom of the economic food chain here and what's your likelihood of like going up and being middle class or rich oh, like the malleableness and, 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 and socioeconomic status. Yeah. And, and how likely are you to, you know, in different states to go up. And Utah was ranked as, as one of the top in the nation. Really? In other words, you're more likely, if you're at the bottom of the economic ladder, you're more likely in Utah to make it up than you are in almost any other state. Interesting. And so it says something about the dynamics we have here in Utah. And it says something about the lawmaking. It says something about just, you know, how we, how we operate. Yeah, I find that
0: interesting with Utah being mainly a Republican state. That sort of makes a statement about Republican economic policies. I, you
1: know, I believe that. I, my Democrat friends would probably differ and yeah, say, right. <laughs> you know, that's not the case. But no, I, I believe that's what it is. I mean, things like not, not spending more than you bring in. I mean, that's... That's valuable in itself. Well, I mean, it's, it, you know, anyone who runs a business goes, yeah, that, you know, even if they're a Democrat, they are go, yeah, that actually is a good principle. I mean, long-term, you can't do that. And we do as a state, by the way, we do we do borrow some money, but there's a limit. There's a, there's a limit of how much you can do. And they, we borrow it for things like, I don't know, buildings or we bond for certain things and cities do as well. But but overall, we don't do what the federal government does. Yeah. And so, and it's really, the cool thing about our, our, our legislature that I don't think people understand is, you know, when you get in and out, it's 45 days, which means that all of our legislators, it's not a full-time thing. Like literally, you have school teachers, you have realtors, you have People from all different fields. All over. And so what's interesting is then a lot of times... Like, okay, so I was an attorney, but if we had some issue that would come up about, you know, teaching that would affect like school teachers. Yeah. I mean, like, I know school teachers, but I'm not one. And uh-huh. so I would send, you know, the bill language and stuff to my friends who were school teachers and say, hey. What do you think? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, because, you, oh. know, you know, I'd like to pretend that I know everything about everything, but I really don't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's really humbling when you're sitting there and you're looking at, okay, we're going to vote on 20 bills in the next couple hours. And I'm looking at the board. I'm looking at the different bills. And they'll be about some you know arcane thing in the insurance code, like that's not my background, you know. Mm-hmm. And for the person, you know, you know, I I used to sat next to a guy who was a who was a doctor. Yeah. And, you know, it's not his background either, you know. know and right no either. one around, you know. So so it takes some, you know. That's one of the reasons why you have all these people from different areas of life. And it's it's great because it's a good resource, and yeah. and so and then you also have like there's a guy who does uh, who's an insurance agent and he's also in the House of Representatives, and a that's lot of his people, specialty it is and so like you know people will rely on him on on those issues and say hmm. does this actually do what we think it does?
0: That is so it's, that, it's, yeah, that's cool pretty process. cool. That's awesome. Um, sorry, just organizing my thoughts here. Isn't that the main point of? of lobbying to degree. Cause I was talking to my grandpa who used to be an attorney and he actually did some, uh, some lobbying for Anheuser-Busch. Oh really? Okay. Uh, which in his words was very interesting here with all that.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, but he sort of, I feel like lobbying has a negative connotation to the average mm-hmm. person, yeah. but once he explained to me sort of what lobbying was for, it totally puts a positive. It, well, it should put a positive view to anyone.
1: Well, it's like any profession. It. Think of lawyers. I mean, mm-hmm. do you, do lawyers get a bad rap? Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and yet, there's you know tens of thousands of them across the country. Um, and why is that? Well, there are some who are less than sort of stellar. But the reality is, if you run a company, if you've ever been sued, if you have anything to do with the legal profession, well, I mean, or or any profession really, you your life intersects with the law. Yeah. Like at some point, so whether you
0: like it or not, whether you
1: like it or not, I mean, any business owner, like, like for the most part, people who just go, oh, lawyers, blah, blah, you know, it's because they just don't know. They've never needed one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's like saying, oh, doctors, oh, like we need a doctor. Well, no, I mean, people that have had a doctor, you know, perform a service for them. Yeah. Like they feel differently than those who haven't. And for lawyers, I mean. You know, it, It's the same. Well, for lawyers, it's the same thing. I mean, the more you've interacted and realized that we have to have people understand the law in our society, mm-hmm. they appreciate it. Lobbying's the same way. For lobbying, you've got companies. I mean, the government now is growing so big and we have so many laws uh-huh. and the, the impact it has on everyone's life is, I mean, it's staggering. It's almost frightening how big it is and how much, you know, a couple of legislators that, that, that have a bill that just tweaks a little provision of a code and I've seen this huh. they'll tweak a provision of a code and 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 they've done this I've seen this in the federal or federal arena yeah. there'll be a little regulation that gets just altered slightly and it'll wipe out an entire industry really like we you see that all the time and so when I worked with Senator Lee one of the things I did was meet with companies who would come to him and say hey the Obama the Obama administration has this particular regulation that they just passed and if this goes through, like we're out. Is, we're out or this will put so much regulatory burden on us as a company, we're just going to close our doors. So what a lobbyist does is help, helps those companies connect with the government and the officials and legislators and help them know this is the impact. Like, like, don't do this because this is the impact. And a lot of times with a huge, with huge government, I mean, the... the the legislators don't always understand what the impact is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I sometimes those bills end up like picking winners and losers. Unfortunately. So, exactly. And but a lot of times they don't know, you know, who those losers are. Sometimes they do. What lobbyists do is they help the losers also get up there and say, hey, just so you know, we're here too. This impacts us. Yeah. And the winners a lot of times will have their lobbyists as well. They're yeah. Saying, yeah, <laughs> we think this is great. You know. So I represent a lot of tech companies, and like for instance, I have a small tech company I represent that does this very thing they're battling the big tech companies who are trying to kind of get them out of business okay and they're trying to get laws passed that will regulate them out of business and give okay. them a competitive advantage over the little guy okay so if you're the little guy that's a rough you, situation it's r- to be and in. and how do you feel about your lobby your lobbying team you're
0: hoping and praying that they'd the, are successful you. Yeah. And
1: exactly so it's it's like any industry i mean lobbying just gets a bad rap because Uh, You know because politicians get a bad rap because lawyers get a bad. I mean It's like the
0: few that give it a bad rep overweigh all the the good.
1: Yeah, and that's you know, and we see that in a lot of professions So anyway, so what I do is perform a service that I think is really valuable for companies and 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 helps them sort of under you know helps them, you know Get access to that whole system that they otherwise wouldn't get and sometimes only the biggest companies are the ones that have had that representation, but we're seeing a trend now where smaller companies are having that as well, which I think mm-hmm. is good.
0: Yeah, from from learning about it, I definitely see it as a positive uh, now for sure. Question though: yeah. to pinpoint what you you brought up, the government getting bigger and bigger. Do you think overall
1: that's a good or a bad for Personally, society? Personally, I whole- I don't I don't like it. Um, I think it's probably inevitable just in light of the complexity of life. Hmm. And so much that's going on, and so many different. Thi- I mean, I mean, take something like uh, like the Utah legislature just this last session passed a bill dealing with autonomous vehicles, <laughs> self-driving cars.
0: Okay, okay, okay.
1: That'll make life a little more interesting. Well make and and it's coming. Like in the next, um, you know, what I'm saying I have a friend who has a, you know, uh, who he has this one of these new Teslas that sort of drives itself. And, and, we, awesome. and I and he he, my, he and his wife and my wife and I all went out and he, he had me drive and to, he's like, okay, take your hands off the wheel. And I'm like, okay, what, uh, what what's going, you know, no and, way. The, and the car's driving down Creek Road here. Okay. You know, and we come up to a stoplight and I'm like, there's a car up there. The light's red. He goes, just, you're fine. You're fine. It's car slows down and it stops right behind the car in front of him. And I mean, so those it's, it's legit. Oh, yeah. Oh, Cars can chip. drive themselves now. Uh, yeah, Teslas are, you know, it's not just, I mean, there are some different things and, you yeah. know, and, and you can't just like go to sleep. But there is, but but the fact that I spent four or five minutes driving with not with, with no hands on on my steering wheel or the pedals is like freaky. But here's, here's <laughs> a, you know, but it's coming. The point is in 10 to 20 years, that's, we're going to have, you know, the entire, our entire economy is going to change when that happens. Yeah. We need laws to sort of govern Mm-hmm. How do how do we do this? What does it look like? Um, how do we manage insurance? How huh. do we you know the, all these self driving cars are going to be connected you know wirelessly to different servers and networks, sort of databases, databases, and 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 you know the 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 whole process is so like incredibly complex, and so the legislature passed a bill that was very long and very complex, going through these things and trying to get ahead of it. So I mean, do I like that? They have like you know thirty or forty new pages of laws dealing with autonomous vehicles. Well, no, in theory, I, I don't like the fact we're having more and more laws, but mm-hmm. I think it's probably necessary when you have something as complex and bizarre and cutting edge as autonomous vehicle. Like yeah. you got to do it. And there's so, like
0: twenty other things coming in that same sort of realm with technology. I'd assume. Oh,
1: oh yeah. I mean, just the the whole. I mean, think of uh, like medicine, for instance. Yeah. I mean, the kind of stuff going on with like telemedicine. Stem cell. Oh, yes. So so nice. I, I'm thinking, I mean, something oh, simple and even like
0: technology, uh, technology of like you seeing a doctor through a screen and yeah, running or, it all or apps like uh, on my phone.
1: OK, there's I saw someone the other day who has an app on their phone that on the back, there's a cover with these little two little like silver things. And it basically gives you an EKG the same as you would with, uh, you know, if you had, you know, the, the like EKG going, for oh, heart. going into like, wow. like going in now, it's probably not as accurate. But it's a it's a medical app, and you you do this, and then it gives you an EKG, That's insane. and then it feeds it to a cardiologist who looks at it. And I, I, I in fact I have a friend who had some heart issues, and so he was using this, and huh. and when he feels like a heart like something irregular, he does this, he sends it to the cardiologist. The cardiologist calls him up and says either you're good, no worries, or on one occasion he called him up and said, why don't you get in here? Let's let's check you out. Wow. And so. But, but think of, I mean, the amount of time that could save in terms of people going to hospitals and paying, you know, having insurance, paying a lot of money when it's not, you know, there's no problem. Oh, yeah. So, but there's a, laws have got to cover that because, you know, is that, what is that, is that a medical app? Does it need to be approved by the FDA? There's a lot of weird questions. And so laws have to sort of adapt to that and they get more and more laws and it just, as, as society gets more complex yeah. and every one of those little companies are going to want lawyers they're going to want lobbyists because they're going to want regulation that helps them that helps them and then the the bigger companies that are out there that are already doing this kind of stuff that don't like the smaller companies with their little apps competing with them exactly and so that's you know it's unfortunate that that's the system and how it works but it's what it is
0: it's pretty interesting interesting given like the history of America we're basically founded on trying to be more, well, I guess more the, uh, anti-federalists or Thomas Jefferson wanting to be more agriculture and not as big of a large national government, more local, mm-hmm. more local government and less government involved to how we're turning into basically huge government. I don't know. I've just heard a lot of people talk about how the government's way bigger than whatever the founding fathers would have well. ever. Wanted it to be. It's,
1: it is massive. Well, to, to put it in perspective, so when I worked with Senator Lee, he had in his office this, it was this cabinet that was about, you know, it was about four and a half, five feet tall. Mm-hmm. And it was this wide. And on the top of the cabinet, he had all the laws, just sitting, all the laws passed by Congress last year, the previous year. Uh-huh. It was about four or five hundred pages worth. So about this <laughs> stack. <laughs> nice. But it was sitting, sitting on the top. Okay. And then in the cabinet, there were three stacks of laws passed by the federal agencies. So like the EPA, Treasury, you know, the you know, tax code. you know wow. those, those kinds of things, yeah. you know, Department of Transportation, Health and Human Services. Anyway, it was about 80,000 pages on average a year. So it was like an 11, if you had stacked it up from the floor to the ceiling, it was like 11 feet. <laughs> so four or 500 pages a year of laws Congress passes versus about 80,000 pages of new regulations passed by those agencies. That's crazy. So that puts into perspective like how, how much how big this is. Yeah. And every one of those regulations, like like there is much law as Congress passing a law. Wow. And even the slightest tweak on one of those regulations can wipe out an industry. Crazy. And so that's yeah, it's really that's it's more and more complex and yeah. it's Fascinating, and that's why I love what I do. It's, yeah, it is actually it's a lot non-stop of nonstop fun. fun. It is way more fun than practicing law, by the way. <laughs> I have so many lawyers I think that made say that to clear. me. <laughs> lawyers are like, uh, I literally, I'll have lawyers say to me all the time. How'd you How'd you escape the practice? How'd you? I'm like. I'm having way more fun. They're like, (laughs) I know, I know, way more fun. I used to just sit at a desk and type motions and stuff.
0: And, I mean, there's two ways to look at sort of the agencies making so many regulations now. One, unelected officials making decisions. That's That's, unethical. Or two, I were talking earlier about lobbyists, people that are specialized in certain fields trying to make the best decisions for society. You win some, you lose some. Uh, so it's, tell it's, tell us about your
1: current uh, campaign running for chairman well, of the Republican Party. Yeah, this in is Utah. a fun one This will be fun. Um, this is you know as a Republican Party. I believe that we've um, You know, they've been through some uh, some rough spots and you know The job of a party really is to is to you've got party the, the members of the party and their job is to choose candidates like they need to nominate okay, someone hey, they yeah. choose the candidate and then the, the the party helps them in that process. And then once the candidate gets chosen, the party helps that person get elected.
2: Hmm. So
1: that's that's effectively what the party does. You okay. know, So every party has that kind of process. And so um, like the Republican Party here in Utah, you'll have members of the Republican Party that will select who's going to be, say, in the House of Representatives for like the district I was in. And then once they select that person, then it's the job of the party to have enough funding, enough money, enough resources to sit down with that candidate and say, okay, here's, we're going to help you out with this. We're going to give you voter information and data, and we're going to help you with your campaign and your website and help train you in terms of what you need to do to get elected. A lot of people who run for office, I mean, some like know what they're doing from day one, but most of them like are just normal people who went, you know what? I'm going to make make a difference. Yeah. And they get the nomination and they're like, okay. Where do I start? What Where do, do I, I do? Go? What do I do? And so that's a good party is able to take that person and help them, you know, walk them across the finish line and ideally get them elected. Huh? So that's what the, the party does. That's, that's what I'm running to. So I'm running to do that for the Republican party here in Utah.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm Another admirable
1: it's, check off the list well, for Derek and Brown. Well, and I've got Well, it's a, <laughs> I don't know. I'd say I've got a campaign I'm running right now and I've got a lot of people helping out and, uh, you know, it, it's it's fun, and there's parts that's not fun, uh-huh. but at the same time, you know, I'm doing it because I feel like I can make a difference. And and in the Republican Party, we've had a couple of different—there's different groups that, that you need, and you need all the groups. One of them are, like, the people who are willing to write the checks and fund the party. Yeah. Provide the resources that you need uh-huh. because, you know, like it or not, when you hold a big convention for your party, it's going to cost forty or $50,000, because they'll do it like at the Southtown Expo Center, yeah, for instance. They've done it down there. So you, yeah, you you got to rent the fil- the the facility. You've got to have. You got to let people know. I mean, they have a lot of organizational things that go on. I mean, it's it's a big amount. You know, it takes it takes money. You know, yeah. I mean, just to put it bluntly, and I know people don't want to talk about that. Oh, politics and money. They're taking but, our money. <laughs> but the, the reality is, it takes money to do that, right? So, yeah. Um, and then you got all the elected officials. All these people whom you've got elected as a party are all. You know, they're kind of your. You know, they're kind of your rock stars. They're kind of your your players. The team on the mm-hmm. court. They're the ones that you know everyone's watching, and they're the ones they're on casting the, the votes. Yeah, they really are. And so, so they're kind of the the ones people are watching. And then you have what we call sort of the grassroots, the activists, the 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 the, the rank and file members of the party who are the ones who are providing the you know the drive and the support and the help to get those people there. You know and they're the ones who also will hold those people accountable you know if somebody says i'm going to do this this and this and then they get in office and they don't do any of those things and there's
0: 10 other well, hundreds of other people who say hey exactly you and gotta so, do what you
1: said well yeah and and then that's where Hopefully. you know they don't get reelected or, yeah you know that you know and that's a that's a good process but so that's a so all these groups uh-huh. like we need all of them to and work it, together to work together and the last couple of years we sort of haven't in the republican
0: party so that's so, how you'll be able to make a difference. That's in my goal, helping these groups. Is, I know uh, all these
1: groups. I've worked with all of them. I think I can bring them together. I think you know, there's a lot of candidates running. I think I'm the one that has sort of established relationships with these different groups, and huh. that's what I can do is is hopefully bring them together in a way where we can get back as you know get get back on track in terms of what the elections are yeah. for. I mean, as Republicans, like we kind of took a shellacking this last November. Um, it was bad. I mean, so if you're a Republican. Um, I mean, Republicans, honestly, are anyone who's really paying attention to what's going on demographically, if they're Republican, they should be really worried because huh. they're not giving people like you and your age group a reason to be Republican. Now, a lot of them, a lot are, but more are not. And I'm seeing that trend. And part of that is I think the Republican Party hasn't done a good job of, of saying, here's, why, here's, here's what it means to be Republican. And part yeah. of it is just, I think, messaging. You know what I'm saying? That what message. Way? What do you mean? Well, I mean, take a um, um take an example like minimum wage. Okay. Okay, so I mean we've heard a lot about great example, uh, of, of, like way. living wage, right? <laughs> we need a living wage. Okay, it should be fifteen dollars an hour. Well, if that's so great, why not make it twenty? Why not make it twenty five? Why not make it thirty? I mean, that's fair, right? Well, as Republicans, we believe, you know, and I, you know, generally speaking, that if you make if you make the most vulnerable people among us those who are making you know the bottom of the of the economic ladder Yeah, if you make them like artificially expensive You know what I'm saying someone uh-huh. who is maybe maybe the market is like 12 bucks an hour and you bump it up to 18 What do you think employers are gonna do? They're gonna hire, get rid of people or hire less or you know what I'm saying yeah. Are there some people who are gonna get a raise? Sure, but by and large you're making these people who are already the most vulnerable like, expensive in a way they wouldn't be. But here's my point. Uh-huh. So Republicans, when we talk about that issue, as an example, we start talking about supply and demand and economics and, you know, income and artificially expensive, the kind of stuff I'm yeah, just saying to you. the stuff that— And do you know what Democrats do? A lot of—they yeah, argue on a moral level. Well, they they say, yeah, really. Because I know this woman named, you know, Julia, and she's a single mom. She's got two kids. <laughs> and do you know how much she's making? She's making $12.50 an hour. How how can she live on that? You know, really good question. You know what I'm saying? And it tugs at your heartstrings. But what Democrats do is they, you know, and take President Obama. His response was, he said in the State of the Union, he's talking about this. And he said, give America a raise. Well, okay. There's a a little more that goes into it. but, But look at the messaging. You got one side talking about people you got the other side talking about some sort of like crazy economics. economics professors. And see, that's my point is as Republicans, we need to say, you know, we, you know, I believe as a party, the Republican Party needs to, to to stop talking about what we're fighting against and start talking about who we're fighting for. Uh-huh. Because if we're really concerned about the most vulnerable, we don't want policies that eliminate jobs for them. Mm-hmm. We want exactly the opposite. And so I just feel like Republicans have not done a good job of doing that, and uh, and, and they have not done a good job of – So when you ask about – what do you mean messaging? That. Like, yeah, like if you're in your early some 20s, what do you, you know what – what is it that's more likely to grab your your heart? You What's well, more
0: enticing? You know what?
1: Because you're talking well, about people. What message you hear that? Yeah. It's, yeah so anyway, that's, that's an example.
0: Of, you have broken that down really well, and I've listened to some – have you heard of Ben Shapiro? Yeah. I've listened to him talk about sort of oh, yeah. – Republicans and conservative people need to argue on the moral side, as well, because, like you said, that message of the efficiency and the economic success mm-hmm. just doesn't hit a lot of people, like sort of that.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it's it's like the it, other it side, right, with helping you know, but, helping
0: people and
1: yeah, that's that exactly sort of thing. And that's and that's one of the things that that I think Democrats are naturally they're good at that, you know, they have been, and and that's why, um, like this, well, this last. Even here in Utah, I mean, last November, the Republican Party just—you know—they lost seats in the state house and senate. Uh huh. They lost almost every statewide or countywide election here in Salt Lake County, and they lost a member of Congress by six hundred ninety-four votes. Wow. So, so and my I
0: mean that's that's not that's not too much though. That's, 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 like, that's, that's like that's like a
1: that's a centimeter in political voting. Oh yeah, I mean it, literally it was it was Mia Love was her name, Congressman <laughs> Mia Love. And she got forty nine point nine percent of the votes, and Congressman Ben McAdams got fifty point one percent. Crazy. So literally forty nine point nine to fifty point one. I mean, it was, it was like literally it was just down to the wire. And in fact, they had to like do recounts, uh-huh. and it took a couple of weeks before we actually knew who won. In fact, Congressman McAdams wasn't sure that he had won, but he was still back in D.C. like doing orientation. For new like freshman members of the congress but not really knowing am i i mean i'm learning you know if i actually win if if in fact i won two weeks ago here's what i'll be doing you know what i'm saying yeah. so it's but i think i think as a party we can do a whole lot better so that's that's why i'm running
0: i love it real quick i have to apologize to the listeners for if you found me inhumane for laughing when he brought up you know single mom two kids making minimum wage <laughs> I, I I love those people, and I have nothing <laughs> against that. I just find you know sort of that argument funny at times. So it's always used.
1: Um, well, but it's but you know what? It's a powerful argument. That's yeah. the point. Is it's really it? I mean, it's it's because you know you have one side talking about things, uh-huh. and the other side talking about people, and you know what? And, and no and, matter how the efficient argument, or not
0: efficient. People argument has it a, a big works. leverage.
1: It does, it, and so that's why I mean, you 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 know, your gut reaction was, oh yeah, because we hear that all the time. But when you stop and go, wait a minute, what what is the powerful argument here? I mean, it was a more powerful argument, and one of the reasons that uh, Reagan was such a powerful president is if you go back and look at so many of his speeches, they weren't about things; they were about people. About
0: people. And interesting, and, given and Re- how conservative and Republican, and was. so and, and
1: at some point, Republicans as a group of sort of sort of veered away from that and they've been talking economic curves and you know stuff like that and anyway so i i think it's it that's it's a great point how will you change the message then so let's
0: say it goes perfect we vote for you you're the chairman of the republican party how are you going to change that message to make it more enticing to younger people like me or everyone in general
1: it's a great that's a great question and as a party i think that's something that you know, a part of it is is tone. And I think the tone of the party comes from the person who's kind of at the head. Yeah. Um, we have seen just a lot of toxic communications when it comes to politics. You know, and so many people think that that's, that's the way you communicate. They're, they're almost brainwashed in terms of thinking that, you know, there, there's no way to have a civil conversation about politics. But, you know, the reality is I mean some of my best friends on the at ca- the Capitol were democrats that I disagreed with all the time. Uh-huh. Like we could go to lunch and hang out and have a blast and then we'd go back to the floor and we'd fight like cats and dogs. <laughs> and that's okay because yeah. smart people can disagree. And I think uh-huh. part of it is the messaging that just because we disagree with someone doesn't mean we have to we have to not like them. We don't have to vilify them. And we we see a lot of that and I think we see a lot of that on on television and we see a lot of that on sort of talk shows on both sides of the spectrum. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this idea that that if somebody doesn't agree with me, it's because they're lacking intellect or they're corrupt or, you know, or they're inhumane, uh, inhumane or or they just don't care. And the reality is people care about people care on both sides. And I I think part of it from, you know, to answer your question, I think a lot of it is the tone that comes
0: So sort of change the tone of the Republican Party try to mm-hmm. try to lay off that message or basically just make a shinier face to the well, public in a more in, like explain that But sort of,
1: redirect redirect to sort of what's the what's the core what are the core principles core values. You know, core values what are they and and I think I think Republicans as a group are always best when they're thinking about the big issues the big you know policies that that unite us and then the minute we start talking about you know, the, well, it's funny, there's this very famous quote that Ronald Reagan had where he said, you know, someone who agrees with me 80% of the time is an ally. They're not a 20% traitor. Huh. And a lot of times, and this valuable is a valuable statement. Yeah. Oh, it's, and it's been quoted for years simply because it's, it, it perfectly it describes, I think, what goes on in the political process. And you see this on in both parties too, is you'll get, you know, a group that, that they agree on most things. And then the small percent they don't agree on, they'll just beat each other up over huh. and forget the main point for what they're doing. And I think as a as a as a party, sometimes we get caught up in that. And I don't know the dem I mean, I have good friends who are sort of knee deep in the Democrat Party politics and they do it too. I mean, this is not unique to any one party. I think they all do this, but yeah. at some point it can have the effect of helping you forget what you're about and uh-huh. refocus and then you start losing elections and you get to a point where you go wait a minute what are we wait what's what's the point why are we doing what we're doing yeah and that's that's the question i want to ask so what do you say some of these conflicts and
0: a lot of disagreement within politics is a direct consequence of bipartisan politics having two parties so i feel like a lot of people criticize the two party system because it makes like you said on the federal level nothing's getting done just arguing on both sides why why are parties good? Because you're about to represent a party. One of them, yeah. One of them. Why? I mean, why are parties good? Why should we be for with a party? Well, I think. And how they, is it good for society? Well, to have I think two parties, a, a two-party system.
1: I think it's inevitable, kind of the way our system is structured, that you're going to have groups that sort of that band together and. A lot of them are going to kind of reach for the most number of votes that you can. And that's just, I think that's just an inevitable sort of side effect of the, of the, of the process. And the tricky thing is if you have two parties, and, and here's, here's the hard thing that we've, you know, everyone tries to struggle with. If you lump people who have, you know, thousands of different opinions on thousands of different issues, if you lump them all into one group. mm
0: mm-hmm. huh.
1: You know, or you know, two groups basically. Yeah. Right? Say you lump them all into more or less two. And granted, there are other political parties too. But, but for the most part, you know, the Republican or Democrat is going to win ninety plus percent of the stream. votes, right? Yeah. So if you lump all those people with differing opinions into one group, they're still going to have different opinions. Uh huh. So how do you reconcile that? You know what I'm saying? And uh-huh. how do you bring that together? And that's the real trick of of you know, and, and really also the the problem with sort of the, the bipartisan nature of, uh, you know, the system where you have two, you know, two different competing parties on, you know, a lot of the same issues. It, and it, it is the, it's just the constant debate that we have in our society when it comes to politics, but, but there are problems because you get those parties and then what happens is you have the leaders of those parties in elect office will sort of demand that folks in the party vote a certain way. And that's when you yeah. see the gridlock that we have in D.C. is you'll have, you know, these, you know, we see this mostly, we see more of this in D.C. Yeah. than we do here in Utah. I mean, in Utah, funny enough, like 80-plus percent of all the votes cast are unanimous. Really? Yeah, I mean, and no one knows that. But the, the reality is most of those, I mean, you look at all the bills up in Utah, Republicans and Democrats, for most of the bills that we vote on, we all agree because we go through, we've got this long process that, that rips the bill apart and adds things and takes things out and people debate and they say, well, what about this? What about that? And if it makes it through the whole process and, and makes it through the end, chances are the bill's been fixed or put in a place where people are comfortable with it. Uh-huh. Or it just doesn't make it at all and it dies along the way. Yeah. But for it to make it all the way to the end and pass, most people think we'll get to the point where they go, you know what? Now I'm, I'm comfortable with the bill. But in in D.C. we don't see that. We see this sort of toxic partisanship where they just you know, we have these party line votes. Just divided and, just, and
0: we're voting for our party and and so it is it our is parties are gonna and, collide almost every time.
1: And so then and then you have this funky dilemma where you got like the Democrat in West Virginia who will vote with Republicans because, you know, and we just saw this a few weeks ago. Um Senator Manchin is his name and he, you know, he'll vote with Republicans on certain issues, but part of that is because he comes from a pretty Republican state. And so it's you know what I'm saying so he's He's looking at his re-election and wondering, oh, how is this going to affect, you know, my re-election? Okay, I'm going to break with my party. And then what it does is it gives just a couple of those people not just more power, but all the power. You see what I'm saying? yeah. So so because if it's like, you know, I've seen times and it's like 51 Democrats, 49 Republicans or vice versa. So if all the parties stick together, 51 is going to win every time. But if one of those 51 goes, you know what? yeah i'm not with you on this one then all of a sudden that person swings the entire vote and if that and then if they and if, then if the 51 say to that to that one what if we add this for your state okay i'm back <laughs> see see that's the, the yeah. weird dynamic where it gives one person a, a you know disproportionate amount of power from the rest and so it almost incentivizes people to kind of you know shave off from the party but then it, it sort of bucks the party leaders and they get angry and then they'll retaliate and so so lots know, of
0: politics within politics it's, and those are the worst <laughs>
1: kind of politics is oh yeah the politics within
0: the politics within That's awesome so let's say like what's your message to young people or old people on the fringe not really sure which way they should cast their votes what they should believe in politically why should someone be Republican why should they be a part of the Republican that's a great, Party? That's
1: a great question. I mean, I, a lot of times I think we tend to lump people into certain groups and self-identify in a way that that makes it clear that we can't join another political party or we can't look, you know, we can't open our mind to something different. And I I don't I don't agree with that. I but I'm you know I had someone a couple of weeks ago that asked me so why are you Republican? What is it? Uh-huh. And and part of it is stuff that we've talked about in this conversation. For me at least, it's things like a limited government, a government that is smaller and more focused and more, I mean, like Republicans believe in a government that works, that's effective and that is is limited, meaning it does what it's supposed to do. I mean, the constitution basically says there are certain things that the federal government does and anything that's not part of that, the states can do, the states have the right to do. Uh And so Republicans believe very strongly that if it's part of that list of things that should be done by the federal government they should do that and national not, defense for instance yeah but anything thing. that's not let's let the states do it because the states are closer to the people the states are you know they're much more in touch with the people i mean as a legislator at a state level you know i'm i was much more in touch with people than I think a federal representative would be. I mean, like huh, I couldn't, I couldn't count. get away from people. I mean, I go to reams, I go to the store, <laughs> and okay. I get, hey, you're our representative. Hey, you know that vote you cast or hey, there's <laughs> this issue, you know. And maybe it was annoying, but but the reality is, it was it was good yeah. because I couldn't escape. And you don't want your person escaping. You want them to be connected. To so be that's the power. Held of,
0: accountable to.
1: Right. You want them yeah. like close to people. So that's one of the core concepts of. of of conservatism is we want the federal governments powered, specific and limited, and then everything else, let's have the states take control. And and there's been this trend, and though I know there's some Democrats who disagree, Democrats, by and large, are pushing for everything that can conceivably be done by government at all to be done on a national level. Right in D C. That's and, why
0: you see so many agencies and and 80,000 pages of regulations bridge, a yeah. year. And
1: that's the problem. I mean, something as simple as what my kids are learning in school, like I want that to be decided right here in Utah. I don't want a bunch of mid-level bureaucrats who may be like well-intentioned, but I don't want a bunch of bureaucrats living in DC making decisions for what happens in Sandy, Utah. And so as a conservative, yeah. w- what I would say is, you know, that's one of the core concepts. Individual liberty is another, I mean, liber- you know, limited government obviously and you know ultimately i think that it's it's the kind of thing where we want a government that is that, that functions well and we want policies that bring people out of poverty by enabling them to have things like meaningful work huh. upward mobility i mean for me that is that is key to how we how we bring people the most vulnerable people among us out from you know out from the shadows we don't want people to be stuck on government assistance. I mean, uh-huh. it's there for a reason and there's a big debate between Republicans and Democrats on government assistance. Yeah. And Republicans believe absolutely there should be a safety net. There are people in our society we have to take care of. Yeah, there's got to be
0: some sort of social fabric whether that's on a local level or Yeah,
1: a governmental.
0: For that mom level. who loses
1: her job and she's single and she's got two kids, you know, like the one we talked about earlier, yeah. there should be something in place that helps her. But but there are limits to kind of what it. You know, what I'm saying at some point, we end up help hurting the very people we're trying to help. And so, what is that dividing line? Where you know, and how do you do it in a way that that helps her get on her feet, as opposed to just you know, sort of reinforcing the fact that you know, and and with a single bomb, that's a whole different story than someone who, you know, an able-bodied guy in his mid twenties who. You know, wants to file for government assistance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So that's and those are the the debates that Republicans and Democrats sort of go back and forth and have, is what does that look like? And Republicans feel like it should be, there should be a robust system that helps people out, but it shouldn't be one with the ability to take advantage.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to, like, minimum wage and income inequality, what is the solution on the Republican side, on the conservative side? Because on the other side raise the minimum wage artificially which has benefits in the fact that sure people i mean it benefits do, certain people It benefits certain people has yeah so what's uh, what's the solution on the on the right side well, of the spectrum well
1: republicans and conservatives generally focus on a free market that's you know they uh-huh. feel like the market will take care of so many of those issues and when you interfere with the market and you sort of from this sort of top down kind of we're, we're going to control the market we're get, we're going to decide what salary should be at a government level then you have all sorts of problems Uh and so you know we talked about winners and losers in the government arena um the reality is when government has that kind of power it's a little bit frightening yeah because because the natural i mean republicans tend to be naturally oh i don't know if this is the right way to put it but naturally suspicious of large executive you know branch agencies with a lot of power because it's so easy to abuse. And if there's corruption like right here in Sandy City, like we can we can do something. You and I can do something about that because we know where Sandy City Hall is and we can find our members of the city council and we can go down there and we you know I'm saying I like could they, yell at
0: you at Reams. You could <laughs> yell at me at Reams exactly. But
1: <laughs> if if the corruption or the the inefficiencies are located somewhere back in DC by someone who's dictating Here's price, here's the price of goods, here's the price of services, here's what this is gonna cost. And, and I've seen this over and over in my career where some mid-level bureaucrat in the middle of an agency made a decision on something like that. To change it is just, I mean, it's possible, but it is so hard. Huh. And so that's why we, you know, Republicans believe in a, in a free market system that allows the market to take care of these things but with some government controls to make sure that, you know, because there are always going to be sort of negative side effects things, uh-huh. things that, you know, things like, for instance, the environment. You know what I'm saying? You just let people, you know, let let the free market run rampant and by and large, you'll have, you know, pollution, for instance. So Yeah, or look so at there's... like
0: Rockefeller and some of those billionaires in the 19th century that were able to just. Corporatism at its finest. Well, and so, yeah, so they passed these sure, antitrust yeah. laws as yeah. well. Because,
1: and, But the point was with, with, with those guys, it was because they had just a couple of people controlling everything, you didn't have a free market.
0: So, again, oh, they, it they, sort they, of goes yeah.
1: back to a free market. I mean, Republicans feel strongly about that free market, but with some controls. And so, and, and yeah. the reality is, you know, Democrats by and large are going to believe that, that the free market is well, but they're going to default to more controls because they feel like they're more sensitive to the to the to the side effects and so anyway but we're seeing also in the democrat party i mean the 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 darling of the party currently is this is member of congress from new york aoc who you know has basically (laughs) said brought up
0: aoc well
1: she you know she's basically said you know over and over i'm a socialist i believe in socialism and it's becoming sort of sort of this trendy thing you know and republicans believe that it doesn't work it's been tried and when you have a small group of people making decisions for lots of people on what's good for them, um, number one, they're going to do a lousy job because nobody's quite that smart. And number two, the potential—the potential of corruption—I mean, it's it's huge. It's, it's, you know what I'm saying? There's, and and the, the, you know what I'm saying? If you have relative. a small group of people making those decisions for you and I, and they make a bad decision, and you and I want to do something about it, what can we do? Nothing. And that's the point. That's why I'm a Republican. Right there yeah. is, I believe, government should be limited. It should be effective, and it should be right here, huh. you know, except for the things that right here can't do, like national defense. Yeah, that's why Republicans generally really are big it. on national defense and national defense issues, is because they feel like that is. I mean, if ever there were a clear issue for the federal government, that's one. I mean, but it is changing. One of the other ones is post office, and I mean, <laughs> you know, in the world that we live, I like the post I mean, office. Well, I just wish they'd stop you know, putting the, the crud mail and, you know, I'm saying every day, most uh, of my mail is just spam. It's the equivalent of like, you know, it's like the email spam. Just exactly. It's, you don't it's, want, it's, but then it's easier to go to delete. Exactly. It's paper. So I get a ton of paper every day in the mailbox that I don't want. And, and I wonder if one day the post office just sort of goes out of business because we have these private carriers and there are less and less things that are being shipped. Oh, you and, really and, have a good point. and think who, who's shipping most stuff now? I mean, I mean, Amazon, Amazon's, exactly. Amazon's
0: Amazing.
1: And at some point, Ooh, who doesn't
0: like Amazon? I mean, I,
1: <laughs> I i ordered something not long ago in the morning, and it was on my doorstep by 5 p.m. That's incredible. Which is almost freaky. We live you know? in a crazy society, and this yeah. is like pre. We don't even have drones yet dropping these things off. I mean, that's they've been looking at you know sort of piloting oh, programs for having drones come and drop it off on your doorstep. And pretty soon it's gonna be like ten
0: minutes. You order it ten minutes later, it's on your doorstep. You know what?
1: Yeah, you laugh, but. I, I believe it. I mean, it's it's all a matter Amazing. of having, you know, having a, a, you know, well, well the idea of ordering something online and having it show up on your doorstep later that afternoon. I mean, that, like, 20 years ago, we, we couldn't have even conceived of that. So yeah. this is very cool. But see, and then drones are another area where government probably needs to, you know, and they are, in fact, making regulations. Where can they fly? How high? In what places? You know, making uh-huh. sure they don't interfere with aircraft, you know, and commercial airlines and stuff. So... You know, going back to our other theme, it's just going to get more and more complex, and that's okay. And that's okay. I mean, it's 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 also those those advancements make life better, and they make life easier for, and they, you know, and they bring people, you know, a higher quality of life. And I believe that the free market system has brought more, and and it's brought more people out of poverty in the last forty or fifty years than anything else.
0: Would you, does history, does, would history agree with your core belief? Absolutely.
1: If you look at, you, you look at, I mean, when I was born in the early seventies, you know, you look then versus now, and you look at the level of people living in just brutal grinding poverty and compare it with now. And like billions of people have been brought out of poverty and it's not by socialist superstructures and authoritarian regimes. It's it's those countries that have free market and uh-huh. cu- countries that can rebuild themselves quickly. I mean, that's why, you know, you look at North Korea versus South Korea. Yeah, North Korea is in, is in the, the it's it's like medieval there. And South Korea, you know, Seoul itself is, I have a good friend who just got back from there. And he, he said, there are so many ways in which Seoul is way more advanced than us in America. Huh. I mean things like you know just ban- bandwidth for your cell phone and, and I like their public transportation. Over transportation, there. the the kinds of things you can buy in vending machines. I mean it's just, it's unbelievable. Technologically so, savvy. Yep, you just got to let the let the free market roll and you know create some guidelines. I mean Republicans believe in like like you know some some guidelines, some walls, some hedges so that it doesn't run rampant, but not so many that it suffocates the process. Suffocates for that. And so that there is Cor- no core values, well,
0: suffocates that core market and, yeah. and sort of the core prosperity that comes from it. Yeah. Uh, I must say, I find it awesome that we brought up AOC before Trump when we've been talking for 40 <laughs> minutes now about politics. I think that's awesome. But to bring up, you, you brought up limited government. Um, how a lot of people argue that Trump has sort of gone against that Republican
1: way. Well, when it comes to limited government, oh, he's—I not even know where to go on on him in terms of how he, how to, where you know, he's he's, uh, yeah. you know, we like to like pigeonhole people into like or label people, right? Uh-huh. It's really hard to label him, <laughs> you know. You know, people, say, well, is he this? Is he that? I mean, you know, it's 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 hard to say. I mean, I think there are, you know, Republicans tend to look for things with the president they, that they'll like, things they agree with. I mean, I remember I was in law school and when President Clinton was having his little um, little uh, encounters with the intern in the Oval Office. Oh. And I remember there was this massive debate <laughs> I had in law school with, my, with all of my law school friends, and I was one of the few Republicans there, and most of them were Democrats, and you know, they are basically trying to make the argument that just because he's done bad things doesn't mean he's a bad president. You, know, huh. you can still be a good person but or a, a bad person but a good president, right? And so it was very it was this fascinating And that was debate. on the democratic
0: side yeah, I mean, of, yeah, that's of was the argument in the
1: late nineties. So so it's interesting that we have completely you know, switched. <laughs> well, and so so because there are things that President Trump does that, that I know a lot of Republicans just go, Ugh, why did he say that? Why did he do that? But then there's things he does that as a Republican I really like. Let me give you an example. Okay, we talked about the eighty thousand pages of regulations new regulations every year Mm -hmm. by these agencies, right? Yeah. So Trump comes in and he says, you know what, as a business guy, that's ridiculous. That is suffocating our economy. Like we need the spark of of ingenuity here. And if we're just suffocating them with, you know, hundreds of thousands of pages of regulations that they're responsible for, means they've got to hire attorneys to figure out what it is so that they comply with them, so they don't get fined. So Trump comes in and he says, you know what, for every new regulation, that we're going to implement you as an agency you've got to withdraw repeal two two for oh, one wow you know and people went crazy i can't believe he's doing that yeah but republicans went what? yeah that's and even democrat business owners were like well that's actually it it's pretty bold that actually makes a lot of sense and the reality <laughs> is I, I, my understanding is it's more like seven or eight for one but so that's something that he's done that that, that i think makes a lot of sense i mean so uh-huh. what i try and do is when it comes to someone like you know someone like him or even Bill Clinton. I mean, you know, there's no one perfect. There's no there's no one candidate. that yeah. You know, that's why the last election cycle is so contentious. Is because we had two candidates that had their flaws, and you could say good and bad stuff about both of them. And so, you know, the, the reality is, I think you have to look at the principles, and you have to say, okay, uh-huh. what principles do I stand for? What do I want to see? And the reality is, you're never going to have. A president who agrees with you hundred percent of the time so you know you have to sort of go with a person that I think is yeah. is is more aligned you know that's what I would say to you is who is it that's more aligned with your core values and what are your yeah. core values as well because I think you know as a, as a party the Republican Party needs to be about principle and not personality okay. because the, the personalities change personalities you know are
0: always gonna be different exactly
1: today it's Trump you know ten years from now it's not gonna be Trump it's Hopefully, someone else. a little more uh, maybe someone who doesn't not tweet, as not tweet as crude as, somebody doesn't tweet as regularly as he does. That's one thing that I think is holds a whole more know.
0: professional mannerism. <laughs> well,
1: you know, it, it's you know what it does is it forces people to sort of think, what do I what do I believe in? Because and I, and and he he what he does is he he distracts people from a lot of these core issues by his tweets. But uh-huh. I think you know, and maybe that's by design. I mean, he's very. I mean, like. You know, everything aside, he's very smart. I mean, you know, in terms of the things that he's doing on so many levels. And so I think you have to as a voter sort of think, okay, what what are the principles that I like? What are the principles I stand for? And who is it that's going to do the best job of, of standing for those principles? And it's gonna to be totally different in ten years because the the players are going to be different. I mean we may yeah. still have some of the same Elected officials, but that it'll change
0: so an example of a disagreement you would have had to have with Trump. It's tariffs. Am I right on that?
1: Oh, you know what? I I don't know. I I see I, I'd rather not sort of get into the Trump thing. Just this. Oh, man <laughs> for Sure. For oh sure. my gosh. We've done a good job talking about politics without well Trump. <laughs> uh, You know, it's you know, that's that is one of those concepts that that, you know, truth be told Republicans did have an issue with I mean, I think as a party, yeah, you know, and and you know, and, and you would expect that. I mean, you're going to expect that to have those robust debates for the same reason I mentioned that when you have all these people in one party, you know, just the fact that they happen to be in one party doesn't mean they all doesn't agree. Doesn't mean they all
0: agree on every little last no, thing. Of course not.
1: No, because in fact, those people are going to have their own disagreements, you know, and so they tend to be more aligned than the other parties. But just because they tend to be more aligned doesn't mean that on issues like tariffs, you know, because yeah. that's why you had some Republicans that said, look, the tariffs, you know, we can see where he's going with that. We can see, you know, the impact what he's trying, what he's trying to, do. to do. You know Even if
0: it may not be best for the global economy. Well and I
1: worked with clients that were struggling with you know, were on this side of the tariffs and going, wait a minute, wait, is this you know what what what's what's the reason? Why is he doing this? And so anyway, it does it does get a little tricky, but I think the most important thing I think as a as a as a party is to really figure out what do we you know what, what do we stand for and what are those principles. You know, yeah. and it's easy to get distracted by personalities. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Today, for, sure. for the Democrats, it's AOC. That's where it is today. AOC. Ten years from now, it's not going to be. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. It's going to be somebody else. You know, or maybe not. Maybe she'll sort of take Unless control she get, of the Yeah. What if she's and career? And she'll be the next president elect. You know, and you know, uh, she's there for thirty
0: more years. That'd be exciting. You know, who knows? I mean, that would keep
1: it interesting. You know, but uh, that's one thing that uh, Trump has done is he's kept it interesting.
0: Last thing on Trump. How how would you feel about this statement? The United States government is set up in a way. To where one president or one person can't have too much power. There's so much legislation mm-hmm. and the different branches make it so he doesn't have too much power on his own. But what he's mainly done is hurt hurt the reputation of the government or himself with his how he conducts himself. Would you say well, that's I an think, accurate accurate well, statement? Or does he have more power than we think? Or is his well, you know, has him, his shen- shenanigans not hurt us as bad as we think?
1: How? Well, I think ultimately you have um, it is there is a balance of power, and there are only certain things he can do, mm-hmm. and there's things he can't do. And I think the, the the brilliance of our system is that it's set up in a way that it counter each each branch counterbalances the other. Yeah, um, but I do believe over the last ten to fifteen years we've seen an increase in power by the executive branch, as opposed to the other two. And part of that is because Congress has fought so much and they've been at this stalemate for so long that they haven't really passed a lot of laws. And so they'll leave it to the executive branch to do, you know, a lot more work and they'll give them, you know, it, without really meaning to, they give them more power. For instance, they'll pass a law that says, you know, Congress will say there's a, you know, there shall be a law that, you know, they pick an issue, clean air. There shall be clean air. <laughs> More or less. Okay, how, how are we gonna get Okay? There? Well now and and that's about all they can decide on. Yeah, we're pro clean air. Okay, now what does it do? Okay, well that well someone's gotta decide how do you define clean air? Yeah. What does that look like? Who is violating that? When they violate it, how are they uh, how are they prosecuted? What are the fines? Who's the, the, the decision maker on who is and isn't violated? you know, all those There's things. a lot that
0: goes in.
1: So who makes all of those decisions? The executive branch, the president and the agency. Oh, you guys. see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So that's why I mean there so is so it a has tremendous... become a little more skewed in that direction. I think so. I think the, the president and and it's funny because Republicans were complaining about that very dynamic with the Obama administration, and Democrats didn't care. And now with Trump, it's Flip-flop. kind of reversed. All of a sudden, the <laughs> Democrats are saying, "Yeah, well, you know, can can he do that under the Constitution? It Seems like he has too much presidential power and authority." And you know, Democrat, well, I mean, Republicans tend to be less less noisy now on that issue and so it is funny to see the, the dynamics the change based so. on the print, the personalities but again you know Going with it, belief, it's got to be not the principles the not principles the, the values
0: not the personalities.
1: always default the principles
0: yeah not to rip on aoc but when you said <laughs> when you said that let's make a law for clean air that sounded exactly like aoc
1: <laughs> well and, and the devil's in the details right because everybody wants clean air I mean, here in the Salt Lake Valley where where we live, I mean that's a it's a huge issue. I know second most
0: polluted in United States. Well,
1: no, but it's there are times when we are when when it's bad. I mean, it's getting it's way better than it was 20 years ago, way better than it was 10 years ago. I mean, and part of that, most of that, is just because uh, cars are so much more efficient now than they used to be. But there's still a question: how do you how do you do that? Yeah, I mean that's a
0: good question. Has it been more? Has it decreased more from technological advancement or government regulation?
1: Probably a combination of both.
0: You know? Moderation is a beautiful thing. Well, and
1: I think the free market's a good thing too, because the free market—you know—the free market is is the market is demanding better price controls. But a lot of the market, though, is responding to government demands that they clean up their act as well. So it's like huh. so in terms of cars being more and more clean, a lot of that is being pushed by government. So that's the tug of war. Is Republicans tend to fight a little bit against those things? Democrats tend to push more on the government regulations uh-huh. but but that's one of those um, sort of those side effects or in economics we call it externalities is if you just let the free market run rampant completely without any regulation there you know there would probably be no incentive at least initially for cars to be cleaner yeah. But when government says okay the the the, the parts per million of, of, of you know exp, you know the, of the exhaust or whatever you know that and they have of thing, some brilliant be,
0: lobbyists.
1: Well, and and then you're saying on both sides. Exactly. Saying, hey,
0: these parts per million. I'm and an so, expert in this field.
1: The and you know, the car companies will have those lobbyists, but then you'll also have lobbyists hired by environmental groups, mm-hmm. and then they're going to push, you know, their agenda as well. And and so it's that that battle that comes back and forth. And and I think it's, I think it's healthy. I mean, that's the way the system is designed to work. And I, you know, I, I and you love that, it. Uh, you're in the midst I'm of it. In the all. middle of it. I love it. And it's and it's not neat and clean. It's messy, and that's okay. And you can live that's with okay. that. Sometimes well, it's fun to, to well, play in a messy room. You know, they, they joke about, you know, the, the legislative process being sausage, like the making of sausage. You know? <laughs> Everyone likes sausage. No one wants to see what's actually in it. <laughs> that, the hot dog's that's a probably, great analogy. Hot dog's probably a better analogy than the sausage. They call it the sausage making. I mean, historically, they've sort of joked about that. But it's probably better to call it a, a hot dog making just because, you know, nobody really wants to eat anything inside a hot dog. But once it's there, if you haven't seen it. So okay, then, then it's all right. <laughs> but the making of the the hot dog it's it's not it's not pretty, but you know that's kind of how laws are. And well, that's how you got to do messy, it. It's messy. It's a messy process, but it's also I think it's the it's the best one we've got. And and I that. will put our system up against the system in any other country. I think we have less corruption. I think we have better outputs, and I think we have more uh, opportunity for for laws that incentivize people uh-huh. to be upwardly mobile and to improve their lives, and that's beautiful thing, thing of it.
0: hopefully we stay on top we since world war ii i think it's pretty well, safe to say the united states of america has been the most powerful country in the world and i think the i don't know the history has shown well. that it's been hard for uh for countries nationalities to stay at the top i mean yeah. just life in general i think sort of shows that it there are ups and downs and that the top doesn't always stay but
1: there, there's no guarantee we stay there and as a Republican that's I'm, I'm why you why that. You I think to... and I think it's conservative principles that keep us there and and things like you know free market and, and helping people move move up and and not be reliant on on government but as I look I mean, we, we talked earlier about the debt $23 mm-hmm. trillion dollars it's a I mean a scary. If, if the day comes when we're not at the top of the heap yeah. that's probably why because at some point it's just not not sustainable. It's like a company that just keeps borrowing more and more money. At some point they're either gonna run out of money, people to lend them money, they're gonna run out of ability to pay it off, and it all just kind of comes crumbling down. So that's yeah. that's the thing that to the extent there's an issue that kind of keeps me up at night wondering how we're gonna resolve it. That's, <laughs> that's gonna work like that is the issue right there. Yeah. I listened to a podcast though about
0: the national debt and they said most of it is from debt within the government itself. I forget uh, what are is that true? what well, what are they called?
1: The uh, the Treasury the Treasury bonds? Is that? Well yeah, the, the bonds are what we are paying off because that's that's what you know, a lot of the money is just the, the Treasury Department issuing bonds and that's how they, they get that money. Uh, but most of that most of what the money is going to pay is health care. So you got Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. And those three are like two thirds of the whole budget. You know, right. defense is like a small little tiny sliver. Medicare, Medicaid, and social so, security. So, so yeah, so healthcare basically paying I mean, and that's the one with healthcare prices just increasing mm-hmm. and us paying for more and more healthcare. That's the real that's the issue we need to get a grasp on.
0: From your political experience, how do you think healthcare should be politically Well driven politically.
1: I mean my my personal belief is two things are gonna make it make the difference number one is Technology, so like remember the app we talked about where you have an EKG by your phone Yeah, yeah, I mean that's kind of a crude example but the reality is more and more people having more access to things like telemedicine and, and Good technology are gonna reduce the price. They're gonna reduce the cost now the other the other side effect of that also is the more that we have Incredible medication. I mean the cost of that. I mean, there's, I was talking with someone that that works at the University of Utah and, um, there are medications. I think one was cystic fibrosis where, um, around a a yearly round of medication for that, that disease is a half a million dollars for one person. Crazy. So it's, it's not, you know, sustainable. So I I think number one is going to be technology, but we also have that issue. But my other, uh, the other thing I, I believe would be helpful is letting Letting the local governments make these decisions, letting huh. Utah do this. I mean, we, like, for Medicaid, I mean, what they what the government does is they give us this money and then we, you know, we provide the health care and they say, here's how you're going to do it and yada, yada, yada. I mean, we as a state, if we had the flexibility to just have the money and provide the health care with the money, we could do a better job than mm. if it came from everything was dictated in Washington, D.C. From C. the national level. And so I think, I mean, as a Republican, that's one of, the, my core, one of my core values is I think those kind of things, I mean, like that, that was my biggest yeah. issue with the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Uh-huh. It, it, it wasn't that it said that a certain number of people are going to be covered because that's, that's a good thing in and of itself. But the problem was who's going to be making all these decisions for people in Utah? People not in Utah. <laughs> and that was my biggest issue. Yeah. So you send all this money from Utah back to D.C., a portion of it disappears to pay the bureaucrats, and then it comes back to Utah to provide health care for people here. It's just, it's really inefficient and backwards. Yeah. The opposing argument,
0: though, would be that, you know, some states like Utah or other states will, will get it great and have all their people cared for, but then other states are going to suffer and not have the funds that you sort of need that medium throughout the whole country. I think that a lot of politics, mm-hmm. that's the opposing argument. Well, on the national level, it's like, it's like, hey, we want to control locally and make our local laws, and the opposing arguments we want everyone should have the same laws so that we all have the best outcome or the
1: well, the most yeah. humane
0: society on every level.
1: Um, well and that, that also goes back to the issue of who is it that's making those decisions. Yeah. And, well and, and not only that, but but here here's why I like I mean, we call states the laboratories of democracy, and I I you know, if, if each state did that Initially, there would probably be some states that are doing it great, and others that would probably no just tank. blow it. You know, what yeah. I'm saying California would probably just blow it. That's what they I've lived there; they probably just blow it. But here's the point: come on, is, man, they have the beach; they've got the beach. But that's yeah, that's it. But um, no, I, I I spent many years in California, love it. But um, but the problem is, you you if you have a one size fits all approach, like hey, everyone, here's what you're gonna do, and you're gonna like it. Well, if you, if you let each state do their own thing, then what could happen is, what if we had a situation where Utah's doing this with their health care and they're providing stuff and California does something really cool and innovative that no one's thought of before? What would we do here in Utah? We
0: adapt we'd be like, adapt
1: we'd be like to their hey system. hey, what they're doing you know? And we do that. I mean when I was a legislator, there were many times when we would look at other states huh. that were passing legislation and go, "Wait a minute, Hey, this is a, wait a minute, this is a great idea. what they're doing over in Illinois. We really didn't look at Illinois. But like, hey, look what they're doing in Texas. This is a great idea. Why don't we do that here? And a lot of laws that are passed in Utah are laws that legislators have interacted with other legislators in other states. And went, hey, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And so that's why why Republicans like the idea of states being given the ability to to make their own decisions. Because if you can do your own thing— Then you're competing in a sense, and if Utah's, you know, if if yeah, what came to mind was
0: like a form of a free market when it's like all these different states are competing against each other by having good legislation. It's like, oh yeah, we're gonna take that too, or oh, we need to get rid of this because someone else is doing it
1: You're talking about okay, how do we reduce prices? What's the answer to that? Well, if we were, if we did an awesome job, and people in Nevada were doing a terrible job, people would start coming here. And Nevada would go, hey, we need to step it up. What can what can we do to compete with Utah? And and states do that. I mean, states I like states like compete against other states, and it, there's competition for things like, uh, well, I mean, let's bring up AOC again. Okay. Amazon <laughs> was looking at having a big one of their big sort of headquarters in in New York, and she made a number of comments, and people were up, you know, uproar. I, you know, want Amazon here, and for the following reasons. Anyway, so Amazon went, okay, fine. They went to Virginia instead. Yep. So now there's thousands of new jobs in Virginia, and those jobs aren't going to New and York. And Virginia's getting
0: all those benefits. They're, they're getting
1: all the benefits of, of a massive sort of, you know, just a huge operation that's, boom, going right there into Northern Virginia for that very reason. And it's because, you know, in the, in the grand scheme, essentially Virginia was competing against New York, and Virginia won. So uh-huh. I think competition, healthy competition is good. Within local government it's good for everyone wow that's cool i've
0: never thought about that before that's awesome well we've had an awesome talk about politics this has been awesome thanks so much and before we wrap up i gotta say Derek brown not only is a political master but is the best piano player (laughs) i've ever (laughs) witnessed in my life and it's (laughs) so awesome to talk with you all about politics when this is like your specialty when before this my entire life's like that guy should be on
1: Carnegie Hall. He's <laughs> so good at pianos. I'm not that good. That's why I went to law school. This guy couldn't make it in music. So, <laughs> oh, it's true. If well, next, time, you. next time, next time I have you play piano. Start uh, on the piano. Thanks so much. Thank hey, you, Ben. Thank you. Super fun. Appreciate it, Jake. Take care.